Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. All right, today we begin preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. There's this rabbi who called it the most dangerous book ever written, and I understand why he says that, because when you look, even at the first chapter, it tells us that life is meaningless, you can't make a difference no matter how you try, and we're all going to die and nobody's going to remember your name. So it's pretty discouraging. Don't believe me? Think I'm really taking generosity with my translation? Well, let's look at it ourselves. Ecclesiastes 1 says this. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. What did people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go. But the earth never changes The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. So again, to summarize, this holy scripture says that life is meaningless We can't really make a difference no matter how we try. And we're all going to die, and nobody is going to remember us. And if you're thinking, this scripture seems really depressing, to that I say, welcome to Kalos Church. We'll be here all summer. (laughs) Glory to God. Yeah! Yeah! (laughs) And so who is ready to dive into the divine depths of a somber summer of existential despair? I mean, we're about to dive into the... Come on, where's the round of applause? Who's ready to dive into a somber summer of existential despair? Yeah! You know, I love this book. Anybody have this as their favorite book in the Bible? Yes, just... Yeah, yeah, really? Yes, wow. Okay, a lot of depressed men. I love it. I'm not speaking that over you. But I actually love this book because I feel very seen. I feel like this scripture actually acknowledges the elephant in the room of what's the point of life? Why do I work so hard? What does this all mean? Why do I do the things that I do? Because I, I feel like I, have, I could have written this book, to be honest, when Amrita's like, hey, honey, can you mow the lawn? I'm like, what's the point? It's just going to grow back again. It's just meaningless. I feel like I could have written the scripture myself. Honey, can you wash the dishes? Are you serious? 
We're just going to get the dishes dirty again. I don't need to do it. It is just vanity, honey. Vanity of vanities is futile. I, I feel this way. And you know, people say, let's go out to eat. What's the point? I'm just going to be hungry in a couple of hours, minutes. You know, the other week, I went to this really fancy restaurant, and I, I ordered something pretty expensive on the menu. And the portion size was, like, made for an ant. <laughs> Have you ever experienced that? You go to a fancy restaurant, you're paying a lot of money, and you're like, I'm paying $12 for half a grape. This is not okay. And then the food doesn't even taste that great. You're like, what am I paying for? Can I exchange quality for quantity, sir? I would like more of this food. And if you're like me, you pay all this money, you go through the experience, you took everybody's recommendation, and you're like, this does not satisfy. This was not worth all the money. This was not worth getting the babysitter. This was not worth the drive. Why did I go through all the hassle? And let's be honest, this is a safe place. After you go to that fancy restaurant, you end up heading to McDonald's just so you can feel full. Anybody with me? Come on, raise your hands loud and proud. It's just not satisfying. And I feel like this book in Ecclesiastes kind of identifies that dissatisfaction for us. It's written by a teacher, a preacher, who's one of the kings of Jerusalem. Some would say the author is Solomon, the wisest person the scripture says ever lived. I'm not so convinced it's Solomon, but a lot of people traditionally believe that. But it's a king, someone with wealth and fame and success, someone with influence. And it's like this person who has tasted more than just fancy foods, has tasted all that life has to offer, has made it to the top of the mountain, comes back to the rest of us and says, hey, the view, it's really not that great. The food, it's really not that good. The experience, the travel, the influence, the money, the success, the romance, the, the sex, the adventures, all of this, it really doesn't satisfy your life. You go through all these motions and you still want more. You still crave more. It reminds me of this quote by Jim Carrey, and I, I love this. He says, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so that they will know it's not the answer. It reminds me of this lyric from the band Linkin Park. I tried so hard and got so far. In the end, it even matter. I had to fall to lose it all. One thing, I don't know what, just kidding. Does it even matter how hard you try? <laughs> I feel like this scripture is that. Why do I try so hard? In the end, it didn't even matter. I wish everyone could become rich and famous and see that it's not the answer to life. It still leaves you unsatisfied. Ecclesiastes 1.13 says, 
This is the, the teacher saying, this person who had all these experiences, all this access to wealth and success, he says, I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. And everybody said, Amen. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. And so for all of us who have been going through the rat race of life and feeling like we're on a treadmill, and we feel this dissatisfaction, man, this scripture is for us. For all of us who who feel like we've experienced all that life has to offer and we still long for more, this book is for us. For all of us who are hoping that life has more to offer than what we experience under the sun, this book is for us. And so as I'm studying the scripture, there are three themes that kind of really poked out and popped out for me, and I want to share that. First one is this. I believe that we need to deconstruct the American dream. You know, we've been taught that if you want to be happy, you just need to get the right education. And then you get the right job. And then once you have a great career, then you can have a family. And then once you have a family, you get married, you can have these kids, you can buy a house, and then you will find the satisfaction And we've been taught in hustle culture is you got to work harder, do more, that human flourishing is a result of working harder. Human flourishing is a result of getting more access to finances. Human flourishing is a result of getting access to more technology. But this is not true according to the scripture. It means you can have access to all that life has to offer and still feel a longing and a yearning and a quiet desperation in your life. Hello, did you know that in all the industrial nations of the world, I believe, I think there's 17 that qualify with that status, that as technology and wealth has increased, specifically in America, debts of despair have also increased? Debts of wanting to take our own lives and depression and feeling like life doesn't matter. It's like the next iPhone doesn't solve the existential problems of our hearts. It's like owning a house, you still have problems even though you broke out of renting. It's like the American dream has taught us if you just work harder, hustle harder, you rise and grind, you go forward, then you will finally be satisfied. But then we wonder, why do I still not feel satisfied? I mean, remember praying for what you have right now? When did that stop being enough? The American dream taught us to never settle, but didn't warn us that we would never feel settled. How many of you today feel unsettled? Well, you've been taught to never settle in life. You've been taught to never be content. So then why are we confused with this restlessness and this yearning and the fact that we feel unsettled? You know, in our culture, especially in the church, there's a lot of talk about deconstructing faith. But I I feel like we need to, more importantly, deconstruct the American dream. 
Because I, I think most of America is discipled by the media, by culture, by politics. And yes, I believe that we need to look at the scriptures. We need to translate the scriptures through the lens of Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. We want to make known the beauty of Jesus. I know there's a lot of ugliness and in the church, and that's why we call ourselves Kalos Church, because we believe that the church can be beautiful. Kalos means beautiful in Greek, and we want to make known his beauty. But when we deconstruct the church, and in reality, we just destroy the church because we walk away from it entirely in the name of deconstruction instead of working to build it and make it stronger, then we find the foundation where we rest our lives has to be either the government. How many of you guys want to build your lives on the government? I don't. I don't believe that it has eternal value and satisfaction. Or we have to build ourselves on the marketplace, business. How many of you guys want the innovators of business and technology to form your life and what matters for you? And so you choose state or an economic system like capitalism, and we deconstruct faith, but then we pick one of these two. And as religion dies in America, we find ourselves more religiously devoted to politics or business, and it still doesn't satisfy us. And we're like, what is going on? I took this trip, but I still don't like my life. I bought this product, but I still don't like my life. And that's because you have been sold a lie that the American dream will satisfy you. But it's not true, and I think we need to wake up and deconstruct the American dream. We need something better, amen? You know, my family, you know this, they, re- they were refugees from Sri Lanka. They moved to America to live the American dream. And they couldn't get jobs, but then they finally got a job. They couldn't get a house, but then they finally got a house. They couldn't get the right car, but then they finally got a car. And as my family grew in wealth and influence and success, chasing this American dream, you'd think our life would have been happier. We escaped war. We got access to all of the things that people tell us, if you access these things, you will be fulfilled. But then my family got divorced in the middle of it. Suddenly, I'm at home all alone as a 12-year-old. Suddenly, I don't really care about all the stuff, and I had all the stuff that everybody said you needed to have. I'm going to sound a little bit old, but I had all the video games. I had TurboGrafx-16. Anybody know that video game system? Thank you. I had Turbo Graphics. I had the original NES Nintendo system. I played Duck Hunt with a real gun. I did it. I had the Super Nintendo. I am undefeated in Super Street Fight, Fighter 2 Turbo in a tournament setting. No big deal, I'm just a man. But I've tasted all that this life had to offer as a kid. I got the Sega Genesis. I even had Sega CD. I played Echo the Dolphin. Who knows what I'm talking about? I swam as a dolphin for hours as my youth. (laughs) Using echolocation. I don't even know what the point of the game was. But I was alive and free and swimming. (laughs) Swimming. Nathan just swam with the dolphin and he touched it. Touched it where? Ask him after service where he touched it. (laughs) Anyways, I tasted it all. But my house was empty. My parents were divorced. I was so depressed. I was still longing. I remember when I was 12 years old, 
knowing the symbolism of this house and what it represented for our family, I took spray paint and I covered all of our drywall with just insults and anger and expressed myself. And then I took a sledgehammer and I destroyed every window and every wall when I was home alone, saying, this wasn't worth it. This didn't satisfy us. There has to be more to life than just getting a house. Have you ever felt like that? Am I working to live or am I living to work? Am I ignoring my family because this job says I can get ahead? Am I giving up on my faith with God and church because I just don't have time because I bow down to the altar of consumerism and capitalism? Have you ever felt like that? It's so easy to fall into the trap of never enough. And that's what the scripture talks about. There's so much to life. And many of us, we like to have formulas. We like to have secrets to success. Do this and do this. Follow this plan and then everything will be okay. But how many of you know it doesn't work like that? You can do everything right on paper and still everything is wrong in your heart. That's the reality. And so the scripture, 38 times it introduces this word where he says everything is meaningless. 38 times. Everything is vanity, he says. In other translations, everything is futile. So just give up. What's the point of it? And I think when we look at that at face value, we just say, okay, give up on life. But the word here in Hebrew is actually the word hevel, which doesn't mean meaningless like we think of it. Hevel is another way of saying smoke or vapor. And this is what he's using to describe life. He's saying that like smoke, something can look substantial, but when you try to grab it, nothing's there. And that's the American dream. It looks substantial, and when you try to grab it, nothing's there. He's also saying that life is like a mist. Even the book of James in the scripture says life is a mist, a vapor. It's here one moment, and it's gone the next. And it's like you give yourself to finding the secrets to success, to finding formulas. You try to grab onto it. It's it's unsubstantial. You can't get a grip on life, and then it's gone in one moment. And you're like, what happened to my life. It's like one moment I'm young, I'm hip and cool. The next moment I'm really into air fryers. <laughs> what has happened to my youth? And that's what he's saying with Hevel. It is life is mysterious. It's like smoke. You can't get a grip on it. Life is an enigma. It's not following this perfect formula all this time. Life is confusing. I I believe that point number two, in light of the scripture, we need to remystify the Christian faith. Life is a mist. We like all these formulas. We like to say, pray like this, and you will get this result. Live like this, and you will get this result. If you live a righteous life, you won't suffer like the unrighteous, but then... You experience the death in the family after you've been going to church, after you've been tithing, after you pray every day, after you did everything that was right, and then you still suffer what is wrong. And you're like, what's the point? That's because life is a mystery. It's because life is like smoke. You try to grab onto this ideal, and you realize it's become an idol. You try to grab onto the smoke, 
and you realize, I can't get a grip on life because nothing is there. If I make money, I'll be happy. Nope, just smoke. If I get an education, I'll be happy. Nope, just smoke. If I get a family, I'll be happy. Nope, just smoke. If I get this car, I'll be happy. Nope, just smoke. And then what happened to my life? Where did it go? It is gone. So life is an enigma. And I love that the scripture says this. It acknowledges that. Because have you ever experienced that? God, I did everything right and everything still went wrong. You know, I was taught this a lot in my, my faith, especially in the prosperity gospel. Pray this way, pray for healing like this, and you're guaranteed to get this kind of result. Yeah. But then I, I experience people not getting healed, and I'm asking the hard questions of life. Why, God, why is this so mysterious? Why does God heal some but not all? Have you ever asked that question? There are just some things in life we will never understand in our timing, in our way. For example, round pizzas are served in square boxes, but you eat them in triangles. Think about it. Why do we cook bacon and bake cookies? What the hell? It's an enigma. It's a mystery. John Boy taught me this. If you cut a hole in a net, it has one less hole. What the hell? If you cut the rope, it has one less hole. If you clean a vacuum, you are the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> what the hevel? Can we just say what the hevel together? What, what the hevel? Have you ever gone through life saying what the hevel? Life is a mystery. Life is an enigma. Life is smoke. I wrote it like this. The prosperity gospel gave me tools to demystify my faith. Pray like this for a favorable result. When some of those prayers didn't work, I was forced to remystify my faith. God is good, but not a formula. Our hope isn't in answers to the hard questions of life, but in the one who answers. Life is confusing. I mean, we planted a church. We moved out here to follow Jesus Christ, moved here from the Midwest. And right when the church is getting off the ground, our son gets diagnosed with autism. My stepdad, who was a pastor, dies of cancer. My sister, who's doing nonprofit work in India, gets dengue fever, goes blind. And in a hospital in India where people had to bring her blood because they didn't provide it for her. And I'm like, Lord, we've given our lives to follow you. We followed the formula, but it didn't work like I was promised. What the hell? What is going on? I don't like this. But God is still the answer when our answers don't work. And this scripture, it really addresses the reality that you thought you were facing alone. You thought you had to hide your lack of faith because you're confused in church. But this scripture says you're not alone. Your questions, your concerns, the inconsistency of your prayer life and God and the scripture, you're not alone in recognizing these things. What the hell is the prayer of this author? I love this. And so life is short. Here's another thing the scripture tells us. It's this, that you are going to die and nobody's going to remember you. 
Welcome to Kalos Church. <laughs> How many of you guys have grandparents? We all should. <laughs> Who can name your grandparents' names? Awesome, all right. All right, how many of you can name the names of your great-grandparents? All right, so like five people. So that would mean if you have kids, their grandkids wouldn't know your name. Isn't that interesting? I saw about six hands said, my grandparents' parents, I don't even know their name. Think about that. It kind of puts life into frame. We don't even remember our grandparents' parents. That's not that long ago. For some of us, that's like 50 years ago. For some of us, even younger. Like, we have family where there's five generations in one family. Great, great grandkids in the family. Amritha's Amish grandpa, born and raised Amish, is still alive. He's gotten COVID twice. Still alive. Doesn't take any of his medicine. Still alive. Still working in a field, building stuff out of wood. Not true. What's he doing? He's in a nursing home now. He's alive. He's alive. But it's like if we had already forgotten Grandpa Melvin. And that's the reality for many of us. We're going to work hard to find these strategies. We're going to work hard to live our lives. We're going to be in the rat race of the American dream. We're on the treadmill of life. We're doing the same things. And then suddenly, the treadmill turns into a dead end. That's life. And this brings us to a reality that we're all going to die. We're going to work hard, but we can't take anything with us. All of the toys, all of the money, all of the, the, the LinkedIn updates, all of the endorsements and recommendations... We can't take any of that with us. And so today, point number three, I, ju I just want to share this. And even to set up this whole scripture, the scripture puts us into despair for the first 11 and a half chapters. There are 12 chapters, but I, I realize this might be your first time in church, so I don't want you to leave completely hopeless. And the, the, the writer comes to some conclusions at the end of the book, and I hope you read along with us, but I, I kind of want to jump ahead a little bit and just share this principle that we find in the scripture. He says that under the sun, life is meaningless, but I'm thankful that we serve a God who rises above the sun. Life under the sun is meaningless without the son of God. Amen? And so point number three is this. Only Jesus can deliver what the American dream promises. Amen. Only Jesus can deliver what the American dream promises. Jesus says it like this in Mark 8. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it, like smoke. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul. And so I, I remember as a young person really experiencing the scripture for my life, the American dream wasn't working, and I was invited to church. This was in a time where I had wanted and attempted to take my own life. I get invited to church, and I'm connected to something above the sun, something more eternal, 
something bigger than me, bigger than us. I got connected to God, and it changed my life forever. It brought meaning, and I discovered that only God can make all the matter of life matter. The one who designed our soul is the only one who knows how to bring purpose to it. I started to relate to quotes like this by St. Augustine, a North African thinker. He wrote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Have you ever felt like that restlessness in your soul? It was designed to rest in Jesus. I love this quote. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite an immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Anybody resonate with that like I did when I first heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ? I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Mm. Life is meaningless and nothing is new under the sun, says the author of Ecclesiastes. The good news of the gospel is God elevates us above the sun with his son. And so for those of us who feel the restlessness of life, the dissatisfaction, feeling like I paid for this expensive meal, but I'm still hungry for McDonald's afterwards. You feel like there's got to be more to life. The good news of the gospel is there is. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he says in the scripture, there's nothing new but Jesus. He says, as he dies on the cross for all of humanity, as he provides a way to be fully human and to live a life of purpose and meaning, a life that matters, to get out of the rat race, the treadmill of life, as he deconstructs the American dream before there's an American dream, he says, behold, I make all things new. And that is true for you as well. If you feel this emptiness, this God-shaped void in your life, would you let God fill that void? He's the only one who will bring you the satisfaction your soul desperately longs for. So today, would you give your life to God? Would you acknowledge the restlessness you feel and turn to the one who can satisfy it? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this scripture and your word. Thank you for acknowledging our feelings of despair and doubt and concern and confusion. Thank you for acknowledging that at times it just feels like, what is the point to all of this? What's the point of life? And Lord, for those of us who are simply living under the sun, simply focused on things that are right before us, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to get a, a larger and bigger and more eternal perspective. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be satisfied in you, that we would find our greatest joy and our pleasure in you. We pray in the name of
of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.